Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Range of Capital podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangeley Capital, and with me as always is my co-host and the founder of Rangeley Capital, Chris Demuth. It is Wednesday, January 6th. Today we're going to start by talking about panic and uh, the market sell-off to start the year, and then we're going to discuss why deals are getting done at a small premium to the first rumored price with increasing frequency. So Chris, let me set the stage a little bit for the panic discussion. Uh, Markets have had a rough start to the year. I just looked and they're down about 3% in the first three trading days, and I will tell you it feels like a lot more. Uh, Volatility, which is the most common gauge of fear, is very elevated. Interest rates are going up. The Chinese markets have been crushed. And between Saudi Arabia, Iran, and North Korea, all in the news, it feels like the world is kind of in flux right now. So let me ask you, is now the time to panic? Well, good question, Andrew. You know, I think that there should be a moratorium or a statute of limitations on superlatives. You know, one of the things that the media loves, we don't have the volume on, but we will sometimes have CNBC on on some screen in the corner and there'll be some news. And out of the corner of my eye, my, my heart starts beating heavily. I start sweating. And I'm like, this has been the worst sell off since August. I'm like, yes. August? It just was August a few months ago. Like, there should be, like, if something's the worst since the 1920s, you know, that's interesting. But it seems to be sort of uh, self centered to think that our particular time we're in should be less dramatic than these tiny little increments of time recently. Yeah, or you'll see, like, December was the first down month in four months. Like, well, okay, like sometimes market goes down, sometimes markets go up, you know. I noticed the same phenomenon in the Super Bowl, wherein it seems like there's some dramatically new incidents when they say the most or the least or the most surprising. Yep. However, if you're willing to expand the number of things you're measuring to infinity, yes. and there's only been several dozen modern Super Bowls, every single thing that happens is the most or the yeah. least, even if it's unimportant. So these things get overwrought. I, I miss the old version of the Wall Street Journal that had the same size font and a little bit of sobriety. So we were all looking at something in a way that was kind of adultish that we don't have anymore. Okay. So let, I think we both agree, like, it maybe it, it feels crazy out there. Market commentators love talking about that 1% down day, 2% down day. But when you put it kind of in the grand scheme of things, it, it's not as big a deal. Uh, one thing I looked as I was preparing for the podcast, I went and looked at the kind of S&P 500 one month and one year returns. And both of them are, it's basically flat over mm-hmm. however much time frame you want to look at it. So I don't know if you want to comment on that before we talk about the panic selling. No, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if you look at prices, I don't think we have a big uh, tailwind. Uh, I think that uh, it's nice for a lot of the things we look at to actually have a little bit higher volatility. Uh, you know, I always think there's an insurance industry, but there's not a buying insurance <laughs> industry. So uh, we more often tend to be in uh, the uh, business of finding things that we we would like to ensure. Yep. So having higher premiums, uh, all else being equal, uh, serves as well. And when I say us, I mean you and me. I don't <laughs> quite know how it affects everybody else in the world. I, I wish them well. But uh. Okay, so let's talk. Uh, we've got an interesting chart. And what it is, it's called the the cumulative performance of panic selling versus the S&P 500. And we'll, we'll put the chart up for everyone who's listening. This is the first time we've tried this. This might be podcast disaster yeah, to as, try to discuss <laughs> an image. As soon as I looked at the image, I was like, oh, this is going to... But basically, what, why don't you t- say what it is? Well, I'm looking... 
looking at it upside down. So it's a bit of a disaster within a disaster. But, but it compares the S&P 500 to a panic selling chart, uh, which is the cumulative performance if you basically blow out of your positions when they're down for a few percent, and then you buy them back if and only if a few weeks later they are flat or up. Yes, exactly. So this is exactly kind of the type of behavior we try to avoid. And I think we've talked about with a lot of things like, oh my gosh, Kinder Morgan has gone down. I should sell because Kinder Morgan has gone down. Like, no, you really don't want to have any of these mechanical rules that blow you out for any reason. You want to really be thinking about valuation. And honestly, the time to be buying is when things are going down, when volatility is high, when there's panic in the market. I would be fine if at the end of my life I look back and I'm neutral, at least on defense. I want to not be the guy doing this. And by the way, spoiler alert, the chart, it does not work well as a trading strategy. <laughs> yes. uh, I would be even more uh, edified if uh, we on offense are service providers to people who want yeah. to do this. People who have uh, stops, I would love to be a kind of stop uh, enabler. Uh, so if somebody says, you know, I really want to uh, buy uh, this at a dollar and I pre-plan to freak out at 90 cents, yeah. uh, that that's uh, something that has not worked well. I, I have said this before, but uh, if, if someone would tell me, particularly in e-liquid stocks, they're like, look, I'm buying this for a dollar. But if it loses 20%, I sell no matter what has happened. I would love for you to tell me that. And I will happily go supply a buy order and be like, I'll buy it from you down 25% just because some small piece of bad news has come out. I think it's common sense to imagine most people understand that the physical world does not change as much as the market trying to discount it does. Imagine if you walk down the street and buildings were rising or falling by 20 or 30% in the course of the day. I mean... Disasters happen, big changes happen, but they happen less than in the market. Most strong reactions are overreactions. Yeah, I think one of the things, uh, I'll kind of toot our own horn, one of the things we try to do is go in and find a situation where just everyone's panicking, everyone's selling without regards to fundamentals, and just going in with a clear head, clear capital, and saying like, oh, you guys don't care what price we give you? Uh, yeah, I'll happily buy it. And I think everyone, most people will do that in their everyday lives. You, you go to one of the grocery stores that's closing down that's selling, you know, pudding for a penny or something, and you'll buy as much of it as you can. But in the stock market, people tend to be too scared to do that. And uh, I think it costs them a lot of returns. Every time my daughter says not to toot my own horn, my son says, you're tooting your own horn. <laughs> I, mean, that's really, I think it's one of those phrases people only say when they're, when they're doing the thing they want to disavow. But to do it further, um, I would say... The, the, to further the, the, toot the, the horn. To further, to keep tooting away at the horn, I would say that the the whole answer for this for me is philosophically just going back to intelligent investor eight and twenty uh, on we're yep. just trying to own a part of the business, and if that's your, what you're trying to do, and you're trying to do it in a sensible way, yep. a lot of the rest of the stuff is noise. It has nothing to do with owning a part of the business. Yeah, I mean, look, stocks can drop for twenty percent for a lot of reasons. Sometimes they're good reasons. You know, the the company had a disastrous earnings thing. They lost a big contrast. Expel got sued by 3M, mm-hmm. and sometimes there's they're nothing. You know, China's stock market's going down, so a company that is all U.S. based, their stock is down ten percent. It doesn't make any sense to me. And just to preview uh, the tooting the own horn, when we get to deal prices, there will be a little bit of tooting of the own horn as well. So just the preview. But first, uh, before we get to that, a quick request. If you like this podcast, please subscribe or rate us wherever you get it, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud. If you've already subscribed and rated us, please recommend us to a friend who might like the podcast. People used to complain about the low volume of my voice, but nobody is now <laughs> complimenting the 
raised volume of my voice. So I find uh, really we need to get some more commentary. Well, I never got a compliment on the always elevated volume yeah. of my voice. Yeah. So, uh, so Chris, let's turn to deal pricing. Sure. And uh, I'll set the stage a little bit if that's okay. So it increasingly seems like deals are taking pl- place at or around the first rumored price mm-hmm. or – uh, you'll see an article that says, "Oh, the company A wants forty-five dollars a share for their stock. Company B, company B wants wants someone to pay fifty. Company A wants to pay forty-five, and they'll just split the difference. Mm-hmm. Common negotiation tactic, and one that we mentioned to toot our own horn on our second uh, podcast. This was our Halloween podcast, Media General. Mm-hmm. Uh, in August, it, Nextstar went to them with an offer for seventeen dollars per share mm-hmm. that was never disclosed." Uh, until Nexar went hostile with their bid for Media General, uh, and at the time, the at the time Media General stock was trading around fourteen, it traded up to fifteen. Then in early December, Nexar came out and said, "Hey, we're at a negotiating impasse. We're offering sixteen thirty one, and Media General wants eighteen sixty one, and uh, you know we're at an impasse." And this week, it's been rumored, and probably next week we'll have a definitive deal. But Nexar will be buying Media General for seventeen fifty a share, so that's both right there, right? They almost perfectly split the difference mm-hmm. between sixteen thirty one and eighteen sixty one, and it was just a small premium to the seventeen dollar price that they came at in uh, in August. So everyone could have been saved a lot of time, a lot of headache, a lot of trouble just by taking a small premium to that first unsolicited bid. So what do you think? Why are we seeing this so much in today's market? You know, it's interesting. And the market price kind of lagged way beneath the private market uh, bid. Yep. Uh, It kind of, I I think that there is a modern uh, financial media cadence that if you drop off of, the market price kind of, uh, I wouldn't say collapses, but it certainly uh, kind of melts, kind of wilts a little bit. Um, these things are legitimately complicated. It takes a while to get through. It takes a while for all of your financial advisors and legal advisors to say wise things and to earn uh, their <laughs> fees. Million dollar fees, uh, yep. and, um, and there's a lot of embedded games that involve ego and involve just the board dynamics. Uh, but two of the things we keep seeing, and we were talking about this earlier today, it's kind of funny, is, uh, boy, um, the reference points of splitting the difference really having to come over the top from that earlier bid. You know, it's 5% bump to 15% bumps in that range. Uh, And then a lot of boards looking back to fairly recent highs. This was a big problem on deal flow in 2009 through 11, where the premiums were unrealistic. You know, somebody said, well, you know, Andrew, thank you for wanting to buy my company. Uh, I have a $75 stock. Like, what what do I mean? The stock's trading at $5. Like, well, it's worth 75. I I remember it recently. In 2007, it was worth 75. It's like, so it's your job to get me out of this problem I'm in. But of course, that's not how markets work. Uh, Well, now that kind of embedded game, that psychology of targets boards is less problematic. Yep, yep. And I'll just go ahead and propose one. I think one of the reasons that deals are taking place at a a small bump or Mm -hmm. kind of split the difference is in basketball, a lot of times right before a trade goes through, typically a bad GM will leak it to the press. And that way he can see how the press responds to Mm -hmm. his deal, right? If he's getting torn up in the press, he can come out and say, we're not doing that deal. Like that was, we talk about a lot of things. We were Mm -hmm. just spitballing. And if everybody likes it, he can go through with the deal. And I think in a lot of cases, boards are, they're leaking, boards and advisors are leaking and saying, 
we're thinking about selling for 20. Like nobody's going to sue us for this, right? Nobody, mm-hmm. Everybody thinks 20 is okay. Everybody's good with 20. And then when they don't get lambasted in the press, they can go ahead and do 20. And if they do, they say, whoa, like just respond, doing our fiduciary duty, responding, but obviously not going to do that. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, this, there's one more reference point that I'll, I'll bring up, which is the buyer's share price. Yep. I find that uh, managements, even underperforming management teams, making suboptimal decisions, if their share price is going sideways or up, can be dictatorial oh, about yep, their yep. subsequent deal activity. And if their stock price goes down, even if they're brilliant, they're adding value, they're fully optimized, their share price is down 20%, it would be down 40%, but not for their brilliance. Yep. They are on a short leash. Uh, the management gets much more uh, harried by their board. The board gets more harried by their shareholders. Um, uh, without going into too much detail, there's a new bank deal in New Jersey today. I'm watching very carefully the buyer's share price price for uh, its predictive value on what, if any, subsequent follow-up deals happen in that state. It's a great point. One of the things you saw uh, in healthcare, we've talked about healthcare a little on this Mm -hmm. podcast, two years ago and last year before kind of the Hillary Clinton tweet and the Turing firm, anytime a healthcare deal was announced, the buyer share price would shoot up Mm -hmm. in kind with the seller's share price. And that was such a great... That was such a great signal for the rest of the market. Like, go buy anything and the market will reward you. Whereas today, if you're an oil company, say, and you go do a deal, A, you can't do a deal because you can't find financing. But B, uh, everybody's share prices are collapsing and you really don't have the leash to go do a deal. That was a dramatic case in healthcare where you would pay a 30% premium and your equity would go up 10%. Yeah. Sometimes the deal was free net of the market's reaction yeah. to your equity. I, uh, I I remember I was looking at a trucking company and they announced a $200 million deal or so. And their stock price was up $400 million. Their market cap went up $400 million in a day. So the market was saying this $200 million deal had created double its amount in value, which is just absolutely insane. So yeah, I, I think that's it. I think it'll be interesting to see how managements respond. You know, the past month has not necessarily been very kind to uh, deals. It'll be interesting to see how they respond. A rocky market, uh, how they think about doing deals going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I know, did you want to, there was a couple we had talked about. Did you want to go through a sure. one real quick? Uh, yeah, I'll just, I think this is going to be a busy uh, weekend. If you're married to an investment banker uh, and uh, you want to spend less time with them this weekend, you'll be in luck. More time <laughs> with them, you're not in luck. They'll be on their phones. They're gone a lot. Uh, there's a lot of things that are happening this weekend. I think it's reasonable to expect uh, the first couple big deals of 2016 on Monday. Uh, I think one thing that we might see is the uh, Shire uh, deal with Bexalta. The earlier nominal cash value was in stock, but the cash value was $45.23. I think it's reasonable to expect a modest premium on top of that. Uh, The remaining issue is a novel one involving the preservation of the tax-free nature of the spinoff of the company that's now Bexalta. we don't have a ton of time, but sure. just, just so we might even have to do – if uh, listeners want, we can do another podcast talking about it because it's super interesting. We love Shire. We talked about him with Diax a few weeks ago. But basically what happened is Bexalta was spun off from Baxter, yep. uh, call it six months ago. And in a spinoff, you can't – if you are bought within two years, uh, spinoffs are tax-free. You, you give shareholders a share and say it's tax-free till you sell it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you are bought within two years, the IRS – can come after you and say, oh, that t- spinoff was retroactively not tax-free. Yeah. Now, there are ways around this. Uh, there's if 
there are ways around this which we don't have time to discuss, but two years is where you're like, oh, we're free and clear, we're safe. It's it's basically, it's not exactly a legal threshold. It's kind of where is the uh, assumption built in. Yeah. My wife and I were talking about this this morning, and I said it's as if I died and she remarried in two weeks. You know, it's <laughs> kind of, there's certain assumptions yeah. that would be unflattering that the IRS would want to look at if uh, a recently spun off company uh, has a deal especially with a cash component. Yep. So I believe that they're going to be successful at this. The market's nervous. I'm a little bit less so. And I believe that there's a novel solution to this. And you will see it on Monday. I hope so. Well, so Chris, we've done a lot of sticking our necks out recently. Oh, yeah. we, we stuck our neck out a couple of days just casually mentioning constant contact. We'll see how that ends. I feel quite confident about Media General and mm-hmm. Baxalta here, but we've definitely stuck our necks out there because we have much higher opinions of those deals happening than I think the market does right now. So we'll talk about them next week. And on Monday, we'll toot our own horn again if we got them right. And if we didn't, we'll probably never talk about it again. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sworn right. to see this. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all the time we have uh, today. Again, please follow or rate us, rate us if you haven't already done so. Please recommend us to a friend if you've already done so. And uh, thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next week.